Good morning. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here. Really excited that you've joined us. We are launching a new series today called, Does God Want Me to Be Happy? Does God Want Me to Be Happy? Now, some of you have been in church long enough that you know the answer to this question. It's no. God wants me to be holy, not happy. Others of you know that the correct answer to this question is, well, God wants me to be joyful, not happy. Joy is spiritual. Happy is secular. Others of you are new to church, and I ask the question, does God want me to be happy? And you go, of course, right? Wait, why is everybody here if that's not the case? That third group, you're actually the correct one. Yes, God wants you to be happy. We're going to talk this morning about happiness. It's the first week of a four-week series. And in this, I want to help deconstruct what might be some unhealthy and unbiblical thoughts that are in your mind concerning happiness. Maybe you showed up today and you thought, we are going to talk about what you would consider to be a real topic, sanctification, discipline, righteousness. And you think of happiness and a church talking about happiness is just proof how the church has given into modern culture and self-help sermons. And you, my friend, could not be further from the truth. Happiness and the human quest for it is not just not evil, carnal. It's not even neutral. Instead, the human quest for happiness is at the very heart of the gospel. It's not something disconnected or separate from. And this morning, I want to show you that that's true. And then the next three weeks, I want to show you how to walk into it. Maybe you do think that the idea of wanting happiness is just a modern thing. Well, 765 years before Jesus was born, hardly modern, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. 750 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said, one would come, his feet will be beautiful. He will bring good news. If you've been around the Bible, you know that good news is synonymous for the term gospel. He will bring a gospel of happiness. And just in case you're out there and you're going, yeah, but what kind of messed up modern translation is that? Well, it's the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a widely accepted version for you high doctrinal types. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, my Bible doesn't say anything about happiness. And probably neither does your face. But, but your Bible does actually say a lot about happiness. There's a modern idea that joy and happiness are different. That idea is not found anywhere in the scriptures, nor is it found in the proper studying of words. In fact, most of the time, Bible dictionaries define the word joy with the word happy in the definition and vice versa. 
When King James sat down to write his Bible, he picked a word, a highly spiritual word. And if I said that word today, and like it was family feud, I said, what does this word mean? What does the word blessed mean? People would say things like favored by God, really spiritual, holy. If I asked 100 people when King James was writing his Bible, what does the word blessed mean? 99 out of 100 would have said, happy. It means happy. Now, you might be thinking, but what kind of happy? Can you please give me a definition of happy? No, because it's a stupid question. You know why? Because when people say, football makes me happy, you don't go, but what kind of happy? Ice cream makes me happy. You don't say, what kind of happy? Like the short-term happy that you're going to regret later or the deep, satisfying, long-term happiness? No. Happy means happy. The definition for our series of happy will be happy. I think you get the point. I don't need to tell you what happy is. I don't need to tell you that you're on a quest for it. You already know. But just in case I haven't convinced you yet, 365 AD, again, not very modern, early church historian and widely known theologian, Augustine, said this, every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Augustine said that. Reformed preacher, British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, one of the most well-known and respected preachers of all times in the 1800s, over a hundred times, actually hundreds of times in his sermons, would interchange the word happy and joy. Not caring which one he picked, because in his opinion, they meant the same thing. And Spurgeon said this, my dear brothers and sisters, if anybody in the world ought to be happy, we, we are the people. How boundless our privileges, how brilliant our hopes. Just in case I don't have it yet, George Whitfield, who was a famous American evangelist, I believe in the 1700s is when he spoke these words. It is the end of religion to make men happy. It is the end of religion to make men happy. Isaiah, Augustine, Spurgeon, and Whitfield all thought something was important. To identify and to speak into the human quest for happiness. And in a world and a culture that so desperately craves happiness and simultaneously idolizes happiness and has created entire industries, um, an entire industry with uh, multiple different channels, all with one aim, to help humans achieve happiness. We have more tools and strategies than ever before on how to become happy, and it would appear we have less happiness than ever before. But instead of blaming secular society, perhaps there's a correlation for when the church stops talking about happiness and when the world stepped in to fill the need. 
people want to be happy. And so Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus walked the earth, said, one is coming who will bring a gospel of happiness. Let me add one more quote to the list of distinguished people. This one comes from an 18-year-old freshman at Hillsdale College who for the first and only time in his life turned his back on God, took his Bible and put it up in the closet and said, if it doesn't make me happy, then why should I do it? In reference to following God. Okay, that one was me. I certainly don't belong (laughs) anywhere near that list. But the woman at the well, me, and probably you, want to be happy. And at 18, I was anything but happy. And it wasn't a craving for sin. It wasn't a desire to do my own thing. It was simply, I'm not happy. Why should I do this? See, I knew a gospel of good deeds. I knew a gospel of self-righteousness. I knew a gospel of feeling really bad when I sin and then working really hard to make myself feel better or to let God love me again. I knew all of those different gospels, but what I didn't know was a gospel of happiness. And it didn't take me five years to come back to God. That was a little bit shorter but I could define or describe the next four to five years of my life as incredibly busy and accomplishing things that I wanted to accomplish on one hand and deeply sad on the other. And so I used all of the mechanisms that the world has to offer. And I thought, which one of these is finally gonna produce the happiness I'm longing for? And I knew, I knew that I was supposed to be happy in God, but it wasn't producing it. So today I want to build a case. In the next three weeks, I want to walk you through how, at least how it worked for me. Because it's something triggered at 23 and 24 that now 10 years later I can look back and I could have never imagined the level of happiness the 21-year-old who thought about and in one place took a physical step to end his life because of profound sadness to know this type of happiness. This is my hope for you over these next few weeks. I want to show you a gospel of happiness. Today, I'm going to give you a couple of points couple of points to help you uh, begin to understand that this idea is deeply biblical, that it comes right from the heart of Scripture. So here's the first one. God is happy. God is happy. God is happy. 
Like God's happy. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. God can both be angry at sin and happy in his nature. In the same way that you and I can both feel deep sorrow, deep pain, deep hurt, and still no happiness. God, God's happy. Now, the God I grew up with was a lot of things. He was blessed. He was holy. He was this. He was that. But he wasn't happy. I knew that because nobody in my church ever told me and nobody ever looked it. God's happy. It's like a light goes on in your brain and all of a sudden you go, wait, he is? A happy God created you. He didn't create you out of uh, pain or anger or longing. He created you out of happiness. He existed in perfect happiness in his Trinitarian nature. Before any of this ever existed, God was happy. Maybe you go, that doesn't fit within the understanding I have of God. Okay, your understanding's wrong. There we go. Let's move on. God is happy. Oftentimes in the scriptures, Oftentimes in the scriptures, David, by the way, the Psalms, if you ever want to know what the Psalms are, they're just a collection of this writing that reminds us that regardless of how bad life gets, we can still have happiness and joy in Christ. Because maybe you look at me and you go, well, how bad has your life really been? And so you can get up here and talk about trite happiness. You haven't faced what I have faced and maybe I haven't, but David did. David did. He had a child die because of his own mistake, direct correlation. Paul did. Oh, and Jesus did. Often in the Psalms, it'll say, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. You can't delight in something that isn't delightful. People ask me all the time, Stephen, you love history. Stephen, weren't you a poli-sci major? Stephen, you love history. Have you seen Hamilton? Have you seen Hamilton? You've seen Hamilton, right? Don't you love Hamilton? Are you more of a Hamiltonian or a Jeffersonian? I'm like, I'm not allowed to answer. That's politics. Do you watch Hamilton? And I answer the same thing every time. No. No. You say, why? Because my love for American history does not supersede my hatred for musicals. Can I get an Amen. I don't care what they're singing about. I don't care who it is that's singing. It's still a musical. You've already ruined Les Mis. Come on. I could never delight myself in Hamilton. It's not delightful. If God wasn't delightful, then every time David says, take delight in the Lord, would be like somebody telling me to go watch Hamilton. But David knew, despite all of the depths of sorrows that he felt, despite the tears and the pain and the hurt, he could etch it out into his songs, delight yourself in the Lord. 
I don't know how bad it's been for you. I don't know how bad it's going to get, but I can tell you there is still a source for joy. Delight yourself in him. Why? Because God is happy. I can't smile without saying it. Oh, but it gets even better, guys. A happy God, (laughs) get this, wants you to be happy. Now, I will submit that at some point in time, this idea of God wants me to be happy became a license for sin. Well, God wants me to be happy. And so I can do whatever I want to do. God wants me to be happy, so this is okay. God wants me to be happy. And then preachers swung the pendulum and said, no, God wants you to be holy. Holiness, Christianity without holiness is void of truth, but so is Christianity without happiness. It is not an either or. Yes, God wants you to be holy. And yes, God wants you to be happy. In the opening sermon of the church, in the book of Acts, Peter gets up and he begins to proclaim the gospel and he references Psalm 16, 11. Verse that says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul makes, oh, uh, Peter, excuse me, makes a reference to this verse in the opening sermon. One theologian summed up Peter's early instructions to the church and other writings as this. It's going to be really hard. You're probably going to get killed for this. There's always going to be trouble. Jesus said it. I can promise you that you will be persecuted for following Jesus, this being said to the early church, and that it will be extremely difficult. All of those are guarantees. But Peter, in his opening sermon, is also reminding them, I can guarantee you something else, that you will be full of joy and full of happiness, even in the midst of it. You make known to me the path of life. God makes known to us the path of life. Here in this verse is reminding us that the path to life and the path to happiness is the one that God has laid out. I'll tell you what destroys happiness. It's pretty easy. Sin. Sin. Sin destroys our quest for actual happiness because God has laid out the path to life. The conversation that Jesus and the woman at the well were having, Jesus looks and said, hey, if you had known what it is that I could give, you would have asked and I would have given it to you and you would have never had to come back here. And every commentator agrees that this is like an existential conversation about purpose and meaning in life. And Jesus is saying, you can come back here and you can keep running to all of these temporary things and you can keep trying to get these things to make you happy and you can keep coming and trying to get more and more and more and when it dissatisfies because of the law of diminishing marginal return, then you're just gonna have to come back and get more and some of you have run this life and Jesus says, or you can just walk down my path. Jesus says, drink the water of which I can give. Now sometimes, sometimes 
we have twisted this or the world has twisted this to say, yeah, God wants me to be happy. And so we look at the end, God wants me to be happy, but we say, God, I'll take care of the means. Now, Jesus took care of both the means and the end. The means was the water he came to give. The means was the path that he laid out. When Jesus looked at the woman at the well and said, if you drink of this, you'll never have to thirst again. Jesus identified what it was that the woman wanted most, to never thirst again. And the woman didn't say, awesome, I don't ever want to thirst again. And take her water container, dip it into the sand, and drink it. Thank you, Jesus, for telling me that I'll never have to thirst again. That's brilliant. I really appreciate that. Now I'm going to drink this sand, and it's going to satisfy my thirst. You can never drink enough sand to not be thirsty. No matter how much sand you drink, you're still going to get thirsty. You can never sin enough to arrive at the happiness that you must deeply desire. It is his path that leads to life. It is his water that fully satisfies. A happy God wants you to be happy. The quest for happiness isn't carnal. Sometimes the mechanisms we choose to employ to receive it or get it are a happy God does want you to be happy, and he gave you a gospel to secure it. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Which means if the joy and the happiness have departed, so too has the presence In your presence, there is fullness of joy. See, it would appear to me that we have two options. Option one is we allow our circumstances to dictate our happiness. The market goes up, I'm happy. This thing at work went exactly the way I wanted it to, I'm happy. I'm in a brand new relationship. I'm happy. I'm not in a brand new relationship. I'm speaking hypothetically, just so we're all clear. This thing finally happened. I'm happy. We can live a life where our circumstances dictate our happiness, or we can have a happiness that we apply to our circumstances. See, one way of life, we sit or we strive, whether we're sitting or we're striving, what we're hoping for is that a change in circumstances will produce the happiness that we desire. Or there's another way to walk through life where the happiness is found in the presence of the Lord. And so I have my happiness. It's with me. It's in me. It can't be taken from me. And then the circumstance happens and I step into the circumstance, but I bring my happiness with me. And so tragedy happens. Oh, and it hurts. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. We are to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. The apostle Paul said, I am deeply sorrowful, but always rejoicing. 
David poured his heart out and also said, delight yourself in the Lord. I'm not talking about a trite feeling of happiness. I am talking about something so deep. A happiness that as you walk through life and circumstance happens, you just keep bringing it with you. I will not let my circumstances dictate my happiness. My happiness will be brought into every circumstance. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And for the Christian, the presence of God walks with you, goes with you everywhere you go. And so in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, perhaps you have already jumped to this conclusion and you're asking the question, wasn't Jesus called a man of sorrows? He was. He was called a man of sorrows. By the way, the time in the Bible when he's referred to as a man of sorrows, later it will be said that he counted it all joy to walk as a man of sorrows. He was happy a man of sorrows. But even more so than that, just in case you don't think happy is doctrinal enough for you, Jesus was called a man of sorrows, but he was called a man of sorrows to a specific situation. What was that situation? In the moment on the cross when all of sin fell on him, Jesus is referred to as a man of sorrows. What also happened in the moment that sin fell on him? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was separated from the presence. In other words, the only time Jesus is called the man of sorrows is the only moment in history when he was no longer connected to the presence of God. So yes, you can, uh, yes, yes, a man of sorrows. But in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And why did Jesus take upon the sin of humanity? Why did Jesus become a man of sorrows? So that you and I could become men and women of happiness. Men and women of joy. That's why he did it. A happy God wants you to be happy. And number three, he gave you a gospel to make it happen. He gave you a gospel to make it happen. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, states this, only the Christian, the truly inward Christian, can be happy. Jesus said to the woman, drink this water. He didn't say drink any water. He didn't say there's a lot of other water that you could drink. He said, drink this water, drink my water. Only this water will do it. So what of this gospel? The gospel of happiness that Isaiah predicted, it is the path to this happiness. Antagonistic to it is sin. And sin will always destroy happiness. Though sin destroy it, forgiveness will restore it. Psalm 32, 2 says this. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. Stephen, why are you so happy? Because in Christ, I'm no longer considered guilty. Because I have sinned, because I have messed up, because I have fallen short, because I have done things I never wanted to do, but yet I am forgiven in Christ. And that is a happiness that cannot be taken away from me. 
Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. I was driving in my car on the way home after practicing my sermon, and it had gone fairly well in my own head. And so I was in a good mood, and I'm driving home, and I'm listening to some music, and I really was just um, um, feeling even more happy, I guess, than normal. And I'm like rocking out in my minivan, and I look over, and there's this 19-year-old girl looking at me at the stoplight with the greatest feeling of disgust I have ever seen, which is when I knew I am officially not cool and old, right? And I was just, I like looked back at her like, hey, right? And um, she flicked me off. And then we um, kept, right? So then, then we kept, uh, I just kept rocking out in my car, like singing out loud and, and doing all of this. And then her car rolled away. And I kid you not, there was a bumper sticker on the back of her car. And it said, be happy. And the immediate thought in my head was like, you pot-smoking hippie, I am happy. And I don't know why in our world all of a sudden we associate like happiness with hippies, okay, and pot, but I thought, how ironic. And I wanted to just pull up into her and be like, no, you be happy and come to church on Sunday. I'll show you how. Why so happy? <laughs> I've been forgiven. Like I messed up and Jesus paid for it. And it can't ever be taken. Sin will destroy it. Forgiveness will restore it. Oh, but his presence will fill it. Psalm 43, 4. Psalm 43, 4. Then I will go to your altar, O God. You are the source of my happiness. Then I will go to your altar, O God. You are the source of my happiness. And you might think, oh, it's not that easy. I mean, what makes you happy? When the Browns win, they will lose next week. Like, you think this is silly. What makes you happy? I'm happy because I was dead in sin, destined to hell, and Jesus forgave me and gave me a new life. Why are you happy? You think I'm crazy? You're drinking sand. I'm drinking top A grade bubbly from Jesus. Then I will go to your altar. You are the source of my happiness. Though my life may fall apart, then I will go to the altar. You are my source of happiness. Though tragedy may befall me, then I will go to your altar. You are the source of my happiness. Though the market may crumble and I may lose it all, then I will go to your altar. You, 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 you are the source of my happiness. And yes, 
there will be times when you mourn and weep and life feels overwhelming. And his presence will be there. And your knees may fall to the altar. And no matter how bad it gets, there can be a source of happiness. What are you building your life on? The other water? The sand? Ah, stop. The gospel of happiness is so much better. It's so much better. In fact, it's so much better that in Isaiah 65, 18, 12 chapters after he told them a gospel of happiness was coming, 13 chapters, he said, celebrate and be glad forever. I am creating a Jerusalem or I'm creating a church full of happy people. And I am sick and tired of the world or the hippies claiming that they have some kind of patent or demand on happiness. It's not real. It isn't true. There's a gospel of happiness, and he is the source of happiness, and it is available to you. And he is creating a church full of happy people. So let's claim what is ours, the true source of happiness. And let's acknowledge that the world is craving it, that we're craving it. It's not sinful. It's God-given. Now let's find it in the right spot. If you're here today and you've never seen how sin destroys it, but how you're forgiven on the cross, I want to pray for you in a moment. Or maybe you're here today and you, you've embraced Christ, but you're still not happy. I can relate to that. So just remember that I hope today stirring some things up and getting you going, but journey with us over the next three weeks because I want to show you not just what to believe, but what to do. Will you pray with me? Father, I Pray first for those who are here today and have never crossed the line of salvation, seeing how their sin doesn't just destroy happiness, it destroys everything. It disconnects us from God. Sin destroys happiness because it takes us from your presence and in your presence is where the fullness of joy is. So if you're here today and you've never embraced salvation, sin confessed, forgiveness embraced on the cross, then you pray this with me silently. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. Thank you that you already did. I accept the forgiveness. Now help me to walk in this new life. Friend, it seems easy, but the scripture says that the confession and the feeling of that prayer is the beginning of your path. You've achieved or arrived at salvation. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. His joy, real joy, can now begin to break in. And for the rest of us, Lord, like Spurgeon said, may we be the happiest people. Not trite, but full of your presence. And Father, for those 
who do know you but don't know happiness. I pray that you would use today as a springboard and these next few weeks as a transformative time to walk in the joy you have given us. And if you're going through a tough time right now, run to the altar. He is the source of your happiness. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.